Thank you, Madeline and uh, Sarah, for that ministry in music. Tonight, we come to a conclusion of the book of Ephesians. It's kind of a, a summary of that which we have considered. I've entitled this One Prayer Fits All. We're actually looking at the doxology that comes at the very close of the book. And the doxology is a prayer, if you will. And it's a prayer for all the Ephesian believers. And it's a prayer, of course, appropriate for each and every one of us. So as we often wonder what it is that we can pray for one another, what kind of request should be made, this becomes a wonderful model for what we are to pray for. And what is striking is that we might know more of what God has done for us. The theme is, Paul concludes by pronouncing a blessing upon the Ephesian believers. The blessing describes what it is that Paul desires that God would make abound more and more for each and every believer. Verses are verses 23 and 24 of chapter 6. Peace be to the brothers, love with faith, from God the Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. So Paul describes, excuse me, Paul desires that the Ephesians experience more of God's grace. If you look at verse 6, chapter, chapter 6, verse 23, peace uh, be, uh, excuse me, more of God's peace. Peace be to the brothers. The epistle opens with Paul's expressing a desire for the Ephesians to experience the peace of God. For it tells us in chapter 1, verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. So it begins with and ends with this desire for the Ephesians to know more of the peace of God. The peace of God includes the peace that God brings about among his people. The reconciliation process between Jew and Gentile was described as one of making peace in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14. It read, for he himself is our peace, meaning that God himself is the basis, ground of the peace that the people of God enjoy. The reconciliation process is described as making two into one. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one. Thus, both parties are involved. That is Jew and Gentile. God has done a work in each of the lives of his people. And these are two different ethnic groups. These are two people that by uh, history, historical uh, happenings and circumstances are at enmity with each other. These are two groups that, as far as society is concerned, they have nothing to do with each other. In fact, it's forbidden by Jewish law to eat with Gentiles. And all of that changes by the peace that God brings to these two otherwise warring entities. And Christ in, acted with the intent of making one new entity out of the existing two entities. 
there is now a new community of believers. Ephesians 2.15, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. It isn't just that he took two and brought them together and combined them into one. He took two and created something very different and better. So it isn't a matter of the Jews simply becoming a part of the Gentiles or the Gentiles simply becoming a part of the Jewish nation, but there is a new beginning. There is a new relationship. There is a new worship that's established for both Jew and Gentile. The temple comes to an end, and there is now this new worship. There is this new entity that is formed. As we think about the peace that God brings among his people, we're to understand that the church is not like anything else in the world. There is no organization. There is no filial group. You know, sometimes there are brotherhoods, if you will. Uh, there are lodges. There are organizations that view themselves as a family. They view themselves as one. But there's nothing at all like the church. And we're always to maintain that distinction. We're always supposed to maintain that difference. We are not to be like the world. We are different from the world, and we are different in a glorious way because of what God has done. And as a result, he makes peace among peoples that would normally not be at peace. We certainly see within our society that there are ethnic issues that abound. There are wars that are raging around the world. There are groups that will not have anything to do with each other, but by the grace of God, when someone comes to know the Lord Jesus as their Savior, they are welcomed into the body of Christ. They are truly a brother and a sister, and as a result, the enmity that would normally take place should dissipate. It should be taken away. They should be welcomed and a part of this new entity. And Christ acted not only to reconcile Jew and Gentile to each other, but to reconcile both Jew and Gentile to God. Ephesians 2.16, and might reconcile us both to God. What was kind of a strange thought to the Jewish people who were following as far as they understood it, God's law, but did not truly have a saving relationship to God, they already viewed themselves as reconciled to God. They already viewed themselves as a people of God, and as a result, they were haughty, they were proud, they pointed their finger at the Gentile and thought that they, that is the Jew, had a relationship to God that the Gentiles did not. But we find out that the Jews were just as much in need of a Savior as were the Gentiles. They were just as much in need of reconciliation. They were just as much in need of forgiveness. Paul says in Romans chapter 10, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer for God, for Israel, is that they might be saved. For they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness, go about to establish their own righteousness 
and by such they nullify the righteousness of God. They were trying to make themselves righteous through their obedience rather than to accept the righteousness that God provided them through the person of the Lord Jesus. So they needed to be forgiven. They needed to be reconciled to God. And so both of them have this new relationship to God and a new relationship to one another. Therefore, the peace of God that is spoken of is not just with each other, but with God himself. The peace that we have with God means that we're no longer under God's wrath. Romans 5, 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 5, 9. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. How much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life? Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, Paul describes the relationship that um, people had, actually the relationship which they failed to have with God prior to being saved, Ephesians 2, 1, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, meaning that we were under the wrath of God. We were headed for eternal punishment. But God has made peace with us. And so we are no longer enemies of God, but we are now children of God. Paul is praying that we would know that peace, that it would be settled once and for all in our hearts and minds. It isn't that we would experience more peace. Uh, We can't be any more at peace with God than what we are now. We are fully reconciled. We are forgiven. We are justified. We are accepted. We are his children. There are so many different phrases and words that are used to describe this new relationship we have to God, but they all speak of acceptance. And we find out in Ephesians chapter 1 that we are accepted in the beloved because of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are fully accepted. So Paul is praying that we would know that peace, we would understand that peace, we would understand that the sin issue is addressed once and for all. You never have to wonder if God is angry with you, if God is pouring out his wrath upon you, if you are separated from God, for nothing can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That we might know that peace and it would reign in our hearts and mind. It would be a settled issue. Secondly, Paul describes that the Ephesians experience more of God's love. Ephesians 6.23, And peace be to the brothers, and love with faith. God has chosen believers to be recipients of God's love. Ephesians 1.4, even as he chose us in him 
that he is God, even as God chose us in him, that's Jesus, even as God chose us in Jesus before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons. So God bestowed his love upon us even before the foundation of the world, even before anything was made, long before we were made, long before the earth was made, long before the universe was made, long before anything had come into existence. God had decided to create, and God had decided to create a people for himself. And God created a people for himself by name. And in love, he brought you to himself. So we have experienced this love of God long before we were born and long before we were saved. Ephesians 2.4 but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. So here again, this love of God was demonstrated. It was manifested. It was given to us while we were dead in our trespasses and sins. In the book of Romans, but God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The point is that in our fallen, wicked, sinful state, his people were objects of his love. And again, that should warm our hearts when we sin against God. For we know that God loves us even in our sin, even in our transgression, even when we fall short, even when we don't live up to the light of the knowledge that we have. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. The prayer is that we would understand the love of God for us. B, it's noteworthy that the Ephesians already know, are known for their love and faith. Ephesians 1.15, for this reason, because of I heard of your faith in Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Nevertheless, Paul prays for the Ephesians out of a desire that their experience of receiving and giving love would increase. First, that they would come to know more of Christ's love for them. Ephesians 3.14, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. He's talking about a prayer. I'm just going through and summarizing all the things that we've already seen in the book of Ephesians. This is bringing it to a conclusion. From whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that... According to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, 
and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you would understand the love of Christ that goes beyond instruction. This idea of going beyond knowledge. Um, the prayer is that what we know and understand intellectually would come into our experience. People can say that they love us and they can express their love and many times hopefully on a daily regular basis husbands are saying to their wives I love you and wives are saying to their husbands they love you but there are experiences that come into a marriage there are hardships there are difficulties that our spouses see us through they are with us in times of sickness they're with us in times of adversity. They are with us in times in which we have failed them. And they stand by us. And we come to know their love in a different way. We come to experience that love. We come to feel that love. We come to be assured of that love. It's more than what is simply spoken. But it is love that is lived out. That's what Paul is praying that we would come to understand. That love of God that was lived out by sending his son. You know, we hear it, we hear it, we hear it. We know it, that God sent his son for us. But that is to grip our hearts. It is to move our inner, inner being, to, to really assimilate that truth. That it warms our heart and gives us full assurance before God that if he gave us his son, his only begotten son, sent him in the world in order to make us acceptable to him, we are accepted. We are loved. There was no greater way for God to demonstrate or manifest his love toward us than giving us his son. So the book of Romans says, he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, will he not with him freely also give us all things? He gave us the best, won't he give us the rest? Is a paraphrase of that verse. The idea is that we would understand that, that love. Secondly, that they in turn would express more love to others. This love that we have experienced, we are now to, to shed abroad to others. Ephesians 4, 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Bearing with one another in love. We are to love one another because God loves our brother and sister in Christ. If God our Father loves our brother and sister in Christ, who are we not to love them? Who are we to reject them? 
Who are we to find fault with those whom God finds no fault? Who are we to be impatient with those whom God himself is patient with? Who are we to judge others of whom we are no better? When the perfect, holy judge finds no fault and will welcome them for all eternity. So having experienced that love and knowing that they are loved, that is to manifest itself then in this reciprocal love that we have for our brothers and sisters in Christ and that they have for us. So Ephesians 4.15, rather speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. So speaking to one another in truth, we are to build one another up in our relationship to God. Verse 2 of chapter 5, and walk in love. As Christ loved us and gave himself for us. So here is that sacrificial aspect of, of love. Even as God gave Christ for us, we are to be willing to give of ourselves to others. The application then moves on in Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Ephesians 5.28, the same way husbands should love their wives. Ephesians 5.33, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself. And then the benediction, Ephesians 6.24, grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. The emphasis here is not that we are seeking to earn more of God's love. God cannot love you more than he loves you today. Let me say that again. God can't love you more than he loves you today. So what we're talking about is not trying to earn God's love. And I think so many Christians are trying to do that very thing. They're, they're trying to earn God's love rather than to understand that they have God's love, that they have received the God of love, God's love. It isn't earned. It's unmerited. That's why it moves next to grace. It is freely given. It is so hard for us who are sinful, who are selfish, who are self-centered to really get our minds around a sacrificial kind of love, a, a, a true gracious love that loves the unlovely, that loves the rebellious, that loves the ungrateful. But that's exactly what God does. And so the prayer is that we would understand that we are loved and that we would enjoy that love that we have with God and 
we would acknowledge it. So you can see how the peace comes. These are all kind of building blocks. They, they are reciprocal. They are an upward spiral. The more peace you have, the, the more you'll understand the love of God, the more you'll understand the love of God, the more you'll understand the grace of God, the more you understand the grace of God, the more at peace you will be. The more at peace you are, the more the love of God you will understand. The more of love of God you understand, the more grace. And it's just a, it's an upward spiral that is never-ending. It's never-ending. It's always increasing. Sweeter as the day goes by is what the hymn says. And that should be our understanding of God and our relationship to him. Then thirdly, Paul desires that the Ephesians experience more of God's grace. More of God's grace. Paul first expresses his desire for the Ephesians to know more of God's grace in the introduction. Ephesians 1-2, grace be to you in peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Once again, the Ephesians have already been recipients of God's grace. This is not new. Ephesians 2-5. Even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Ephesians 2.8, for by grace, you have been saved through faith. Nothing meritorious, nothing earned, nothing deserving. This was a gift that is given to us. This is God's grace to us. All of God's people are to be instruments of grace. But grace was given to each one of us in accordance with the measure of Christ's gift. As recipients of God's grace, we've been entrusted with that grace that we would share it with others. Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace. So not only are we recipients of it, but now Paul says we are stewards of that. That is that, that we are given the responsibility of sharing that grace with others, that we extend it to other people just as it was given to us so that people don't have to earn our favor. They don't have to earn our relationship with them. That it isn't rewarded, but it's granted freely. It's our immediate response, to be kind, to be considerate, to be caring, to be forgiving, to be gracious. We who have received grace are to be gracious in return. E, our various gifts and areas of service is God's grace to us and to others. Ephesians 3, 7, of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. So now here, God's grace is referred to as a gift. And the very word gift in the uh, original is the word grace. We have been graced with grace. That grace manifests itself in abilities and talents, 
that God gives to us. Again, undeserved. But just simply by being his child, he's given us abilities. But not just for our own aggrandizement, but for the help of one another. So in the body of Christ, there's all these different gifts. Some teach, some serve, some give. And in that giving, in that teaching, in that serving, we are sharing God's grace with one another. We find out that our words can be instruments of God's grace. Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. That's an interesting statement, that it may give grace to those that hear, that grace would be granted, that grace would be given, that grace would be experienced. The words that we share with one another. And I gave just three areas, and obviously if we sit and we reflect, we can think of far more. But encouragement, encouragement is grace. The scripture is filled with encouragement to motivate us in our service and love for God. We are to be an encouragement to one another, not to discourage one another, not to put people down, not to make light of, not to find fault, not to point out every little thing that somebody does wrong or a misspoken word or if they say at night good morning to you who cares if it's night and they say good morning you don't have to point that out you don't have to make a big deal out of that there is so much in life that we say snide and cryptic things to other people that are hurtful that discourage others, that put people down. And unfortunately, in the world, that's the way others lift themselves up. They exalt themselves by making fun of and ridiculing others. Brothers and sisters in Christ, in the body of Christ, there's no place for that. There's no place of sex, of self-exaltation at the expense of our brothers and sisters. But we encourage them, comfort them. As you see tears in people's eyes, as you hear about the suffering of others. I was a teen when I read a quote by Mark Twain, and it has stayed with me all of these years. There's not much I remember from my teen years when it comes to reading. But this quote was, I thought, so profound. Mark Twain said, don't tell people your troubles. Half the people don't care, and the other half are glad of them. What a cynical view. 
But unfortunately, that is the way of the world. People don't care. And others are glad. How awful that someone would be glad at someone else's pain. That they would be happy in their downfall. That they would be gleeful that this person has fallen into sin. That they somehow take joy in seeing someone else go into bankruptcy or hardship or difficulty. That is so opposed to the things of God. That is so different than Christian character and spiritual maturity. That we take no joy in the downfall of another. But rather we weep with those that weep. And we rejoice with those that rejoice. We are not envious at other people's advancement. But we are happy for them. We are delighted when they get ahead. We are excited for their promotions. As Christians, we are not in competition with each other. But we are all cheering each other on, wanting God's best for each and every one. Thankful when they're experiencing rest and peace. And we have heartache when we know that our brother and sister are suffering. And I tell you, when people are experiencing the consequences of sin, they are suffering. And that is the time to reach out and comfort, not rebuke. And assure them that God will forgive and God will restore and God will heal. God will help them. We are to be instruments of God's grace. We are to be dispensing God's grace. That idea of giving, dispensing, handing it out like you would a Band-Aid, as you would a medication, as you would food to the needy. We are to be dispensers, hand-outers of God's grace. And third instruction, teaching people, letting them understand, letting them know about God's grace, God's love, God's peace for them. Bringing our brothers and sisters along. We who are older, we who are spiritually mature. What a privilege to be able to minister to children, teens, new believers, and help them understand what God has done for them. Help them understand that ability to put on the armor of God and to withstand in the day of evil. Helping them to overcome the sin and temptation in their own lives. Sparing them from so much of life's heartache and miseries. Preserving them in their walk with God and their future. Wanting for them to experience the joy and the peace and the delight of a relationship with God. That's what is to characterize us as the people of God. 
Lastly, we're to be praying that others would receive more of God's grace. Ephesians 6, 24, grace be with you all who love our Lord Jesus Christ. There are not many universal applications as I preach where we all live individual lives. We all experience our own set of issues and concerns. Scripture makes it clear that we are not unique. We're no island. There's no temptation taking you, but such is common to man. But my, would it be helpful if on a regular basis we would just pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ, sometime by name, as we know their personal struggles, and sometimes just corporately, just for the people of God, just for the church, that we would all know more of God's grace. Nothing better, nothing higher, nothing greater than to understand more and more that God is gracious. God is gracious. I hope you don't have a view of God as your judge. I hope you don't view God as aloof, as far off, as uncaring, or as distant. The scripture says he's that friend which sticketh closer than a brother. There, there are all these words to help us understand the intimate relationship that we have with God, even to the point of indwelling. That's a word that's simply to communicate that, that God is not only with us, he's in us. There is no greater intimacy than the intimacy of a child of God with God his Father. May we all know more and more of our standing, of our acceptance, of our welcome in the presence of our God. May we be assured that when we die, we were ushered into that presence. No fear, no doubt, no anxiety. And not just when we die, but now. But now. God is hearing and answering our prayers. He loves us. We are at peace with him. We are always standing on the ground of grace, unmerited favor. We never move beyond that, people. We never moved to meritorious acceptance. It's always by God's grace. And we're thankful that grace never fails. Let's pray. Almighty God, help us to know the peace, love, and grace of God in our hearts. May it increase as we experience it more and more. And may we be people 
as we experience more and more of your love and your peace and your grace to be people who are loving, people who are peaceful, people who are gracious, people who extend that to their brothers and sisters in Christ. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, and we are dismissed.